Hi there. A quick message before we start. Don't forget that you can save money this winter when you book your ski hire at intersupportrent.com and use the code SKIPODCAST. You'll get a guaranteed discount for all ski hire in France, Austria and Switzerland. And to make it even simpler, you don't even need to use that code. Just take the link in the show notes and your basket will automatically be reduced. So if you want to support the Ski Podcast, remember to book your ski hire within support and to use the code Ski Podcast or take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Right, let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode 166 of the Ski Podcast and thanks for joining us, listener. Today we're going to be discussing skiing in Iraq in Afghanistan, and something equally challenging, ice swimming in Samoin. Uh, now, my name is Ian Martin. I'd like to introduce our guests today. Uh, we have with us uh, Ashley Hartz and James Wilcox uh, from Untamed Borders. Ashley, it's your first time on the podcast. Uh, welcome to you. Where are you today? Thanks so much. Um, I am in Snoqualmie Pass, Washington in the US, so just outside of Seattle. Okay, so what's the time for you just now then? It's 8 a.m. Um, so I've already been up for a few hours. Um, but yeah, it's uh, looking like a beautiful winter day out here. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us so early in the morning. And uh, James, whereabouts are you? I'm in, uh, I'm in Amsterdam. I'm in the Netherlands, a country notable for its lack of mountains and <laughs> for skiing opportunities. <laughs> OK, well, I didn't actually realise we were covering three countries. We have done that once on the podcast before. Uh, back in, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes, but when uh, we had New Zealand and Australia and the UK, and this has been a bit like that. We had to try and work out a time that fitted for us all. But it's really good to have you on the show. And James, uh, you were actually been on the podcast before, back in March 2021, when we discussed skiing in Afghanistan. And we're going to come back to that uh, later on. But my first question that I like to ask my guests, you said, uh, uh, James, that you're in the Le- Netherlands at the moment. There is no. So when were you last on snow or in a ski resort? Um, that's a really good question. Well, I would say the last time I'm not I'm not a huge skier. It's a bit of an embarrassing thing that I get involved in, in these uh, ski events in uh, slightly unusual countries. Uh, but the last time that I was doing any skiing would have been uh, the last time I was with Ashley in Iraq, I believe, in the winter of uh, 2020. Been two winters without any skiing. Uh, skiing right. OK. And what about yourself, Ashley? When were you last on snow? Maybe it's outside your window. Yeah, it is. Sadly, I actually haven't been on snow for a while because at the end of last season, I tore my ACL and Ow. had reconstruction surgery. Um, so this season I am recovering and hope to be back on snow, um, hopefully this spring for some ski objectives out here. Right. Okay. So jealous of everybody that's getting after it right now. Yeah. How's that recovery going? You know, it's going a lot of physical therapy, a lot of strength work. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to be back stronger than when I left. Did you get that injury skiing? I sure did. Just on a groomer skiing along, kind of a freak accident, took a tumble and top it went ouch when when and where was that so that's um it's the local ski area where i live out in washington state it's called alpental it's a great little uh kind of family style small ski area with a lot of great side country and easy backcountry terrain um that i really love and we get a lot of snow out here cascade concrete um it's heavy but we get a lot of it yeah is it mount baker where they get huge amounts of snow every year it is. So that's in uh, Washington State as well, not too far from us. Um, so, yeah, we have a very similar snowpack. 
Uh, thank you for joining us and I hope your recovery uh, goes well. Um, I just wanted to uh, let our listeners know or remind our listeners that the ski podcast is sponsored by Les Trois-Vallées. It's the largest ski area in the world. Now, recently the question cropped up as to whether or not possibly the Cellar Ronda is uh, larger because I see on their website they claim they've got 1,200 kilometres. So I had a check uh, with my friend Patrick Thorne, who was on the podcast a while ago with his book, uh, 50 Peace Around the World. And he uh, told me that if you use the Cellar as a hub and ski into Val Gardena, Fassa, Bardia Valley is about 500 kilometers. So all the rest of it is uh, if you link buses. So I still think the, the Travale is the largest skier in the world. Currently around two thirds of it is open. Just want to touch on the weather conditions because the... Um, the weather in the Alps has not been uh, great and the snow coverage isn't great at the moment. But if you're reading the uh, regular newspapers around the UK, you possibly might think that there's no snow at all uh, out there in the Alps. And it's a bit misleading, a lot of the pictures that have been shown. It's definitely been uh, a far from vintage start to the season, uh, partly because there wasn't much snowfall uh, early on. And then there was rain up to 2,600 metres over uh, Christmas. Uh, and I think that combination of precipitation and warm temperatures has really made it difficult for any resort with skiing down to 1,000 metres and certainly below probably 1,700 metres. But the snow higher up, uh, is much better and the good news is there is some more snow and a change in temperatures uh, coming from Sunday and Monday so hopefully I'll be publishing this on Friday the 6th of January and uh, you will be able to listen to this and then suddenly discover there is going to be more snow but we do have some snow reports which I'm going to drop in now and they're from regular contributors um, regular listeners will know uh, Alex Irwin from 150 Days of Winter in Courcheval, uh, Dave Burrows from Snow Pros uh, Ski School who's reporting from uh, Italy uh, Keith Webb in Caprun and we also have a report from um, Gethin who was on the uh, uh, podcast not very long ago talking about skiing in Solden uh, he reports from Scotland Hi Ian, Alex from 150 Days of Winter with a snow report from Courcheval at the start of 2023 Like the rest of the French Alps, Courcheval has been suffering from a lack of fresh snow Recent snowfalls have all been accompanied by freezing levels over 2,200 metres and rain falling below that. There is snow, but conditions are hard and require less speed and more skill. Something people are blaming on their equipment instead of their form. There are some pieces that haven't even been open this season due to lack of coverage. Even the weekly ski touring race from La Praia has been moved up to 1850 due to the inability to maintain the course. However, a cold spell and fresh snow is forecast for the 8th, so our collective fingers are crossed. And hopefully 2023 will be another good year for snow. This is Alex, 450 Days of Winter, signing off and wishing everybody a good year. Ciao. Hello, Ian. It's Dave Burrows from Snow Pro Ski School. I uh, hope you're all doing really well. Um, I'm recording this from my garden after a long day of skiing in Italy. Uh, I've made it back uh, under a full moon here looking at the Donde Midi. It's absolutely beautiful here in Switzerland. But today I have skied in Cormayeur and in Pilar uh, in the Aosta Valley in uh, Italy. Um, normally I would have recorded it from the snow, but I was busy uh, working on a project that we're doing over there. So um, snow conditions were completely surprising to me over there. So um, other side of it, so what I would do is obviously go down my valley here um, over the Grand St. Bernard uh, 
through the Grand St. Bernard Tunnel, not over the pass, can't do that at the moment, um, and uh, and down the other side into the Elster Valley. And um, we had a lovely, lovely day skiing. So up in Cormier, um, up above, once you got beyond about 2,000 metres in altitude, um, the snow was firm. It's quite a warm day here today. Um, snow was in really, really good condition, and the skiing over there is just sensational. Um, beautiful landscape, you know, lovely cruisy piece, nice and wide lots of options for, for for different levels of skiers as well and um and the snow was good like all the way down really to about I don't know, 1800 or something like that and they had a lot more snow uh, certainly than they've got um over here on the swiss side um then in the afternoon we went over to pilar pilar is uh, is also relatively high altitude um the gondola drops you off at about i think it's about 16 1800 something like that and ski area goes up to about 3000 so same story there um which was that the snow up top was really really nice um and then as you went down it got a little bit more kind of sugary and soupy but that's just a consequence really of of the heat that we had today and the the number of times that that it's sort of been bashed down um so yeah uh, absolutely sensational skiing over there and it was a real sort of change compared to uh compared to how it's been over here on the swiss side um where the snow line has been sort of creeping higher and higher and higher but the end is in sight so um up in la croze where i live uh, minus four uh minus temperatures this week uh snow is sort of hardening up overnight which is great um it's going to help preserve uh the snowpack and then on sunday uh or i think it's saturday night or sunday it's all going to start to snow and there's at least three days of snow in a row coming and that's kind of as far forward as the as the forecast is prepared to plan so yeah it looks like this warm snap is coming to an end uh we had a particularly difficult kind of over christmas new year um weather cycle you know bit of rain unexpected rain high temperatures and and the phone wind has just kind of uh caused us a lot of difficulty and and i've been kind of reminding anyone who listen is that actually the conditions that us locals would say you know aren't optimal if you're coming out here for your one or your sort of two weeks of, of holiday um ski holiday for the year you know you'll want to be out skiing and anything and, and to be honest the can you know not having perfect conditions isn't so much of a big deal and, and that's been the really positive thing about the last two weeks is is that the clients that we've had out from the uk have just been absolutely like just so happy to be out here so that's to their credit thank you for everyone that's sort of skied with us over this period and now we get on into kind of the bulk of the season and, and hopefully the return of sort of cold temperatures and, and a lot of snow so um as always thanks for the lovely work that you do in um it's really really appreciated by all of us in the ski community and uh, i will see you all later bye bye hi ian keith webb here come on uh, calling you from Badgestein today with a bit of an update for the resorts in and around Salzburg area. Well, we haven't had much snow for the garden, you know, I don't know, a month. <laughs> uh, but fortunately, all the snowmaking around here is very good. So most of the pieces are open, even down into the valley, albeit very spring-like conditions. Um, if it wasn't for the snowmaking, we'd have nothing at all. Um, it would be pretty grim but as I said everything pretty much everything's open down into the valley in both Zellemsee, Salzburg uh, sorry Salbach and uh, today coming from uh, Badhof Gestein so uh, although the warm weather has really done a lot of damage to the off-piste areas which there isn't any frankly it's just ribbons of uh, white snow on the piste and nothing else off the piste 
uh, certainly below about 1400 meters but um, we're surviving there's a bit of snow in the forecast for next week hopefully it will uh, it will happen and we can see an improvement in the conditions but in the meantime we're still skiing um, <laughs> in t-shirts if you want uh, which is really sad for January but we're making the best of it um, hope anybody heading out this way is going to have a good time I'm sure you will and uh, look forward to the new year bye hi Ian it's Geth and the family here with a Twixmas ski report from Avimo we skied all day today at Cairngorm Mountain at the New Beginners area and it was really busy but really good you can now buy ski passes online a few days before it was all sold out today uh, but a new thing they've introduced is, is a discount for disabled skiers they built two new magic carpets to take you up the mountain to ski down about 200 meters i spoke to a family who skied there yesterday and they really enjoyed it too they ski today at the left where they had two magic carpets running plus two drag lifts i think there was some beginner skiing today at glencoe the funicular at Avimo is still not open yet, but we're coming back in March and hopefully it will be open by then. Cheers, Ian. Bye. Uh, Gethin also pointed out that the new Rannock chairlift at Glencoe Mountain, it was finished in the summer. It's had skiers on it for the first time in the last week or so, and it gives better access uh, to the mountain, especially for beginners. So uh, if you're up in Glencoe or in Scotland, do let us know if you've tried that. Now, um, Ashley and James, the reason I wanted to have you on the show is because I know that you are offering skiing in Iraq, which is certainly pretty unusual. Uh, we discussed uh, Afghanistan uh, before, but I was fascinated to find out more about it. So I wondered uh, perhaps if we could start off with, you know, where in Iraq are you offering skiing? Who wants to tackle that? So um, we're offering skiing in the Kurdistan region of Iraq. Um, specifically in the Zagros Mountains. Um, so it's based out of a town called Shoman. It's the Kurdistan regions in the north of Iraq and Shoman is quite close to the Iranian border. Um, so in this region, um, this has the highest mountain in Iraq, Mount Halgird. There's plenty of snow and you know these mountains have long been used by shepherds and farmers, um, but there's it's, it's also a beautiful place to ski um, out there with, uh, like lots of backcountry skiing opportunities um, and really beautiful mountains. Um, the snow isn't, you know, the the top quality snow in the world, but it's definitely doable and it's a lot of fun and a really beautiful place. Cool. So I had a look on the map to see, you know, where it was. Erbil is the main base, the main town, and you'd go up to Choman from there. Is that right? Yep, correct. So flying into Erbil, um, which is the capital of the Kurdistan region. Um, and then from there, it's about an hour, two hour drive. Um, I haven't done it in a few years because of COVID. Yeah, and and what altitude would Choman be then? Yeah, Choman's at about it's around about twelve hundred meters uh, in altitude. Okay. So the town is below usually the snow line. Um, there's a border town called Haji Omran, which is eighteen hundred meters. Um, that in the time the times we go skiing, you know, straight from the road, you can start skinning off and skiing from there. And then, as Ashley said, the highest peak in Afghanistan, in uh, Iraq, is Mount Halgood at 3,600. So that's the kind of range of where we go. And just to follow up, yeah, I mean, you're very limited on where you can ski in Iraq. Most of it is hot and flat and quite close to sea level. <laughs> but um, in the far north, especially close to the Iranian border, uh, the very far north, close to the Iranian border, that's the, the, 
the place to ski. And actually the road that goes from Erbil to Choman and actually all the way through into Iran was built by a New Zealander. Uh, it's called the Hamilton Road and it was built in the 1920s as a, as, a, as a link between the two. And so it's this road that cuts through the Zagros Mountains that allows you to get quite close to, well, literally sort of skinning if, or straight off the um, straight off the main road. Right. OK. And and just to clarify, then, we are saying that you know, there's no lifts there. This is a ski touring trip, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah, the trip is a ski touring uh, trip. Iraq has, and it sounds like we're making it up, it has 200 metres. That's 200 metres, not kilometres. 200 metres of groomed piste. Um, so when, after Saddam Hussein, um, you know, was kicked out by the international community, uh, the Kurdish area in the north um, had, has, and still has a huge amount of autonomy. It has oil and gas reserves, and uh, there was a large amount of money that came in and needed to be invested. And, and one of the things that invested in was a, a, a snow resort, which has a, a big gondola. I mean, a fantastic gondola that takes you up to over 2,000 metres. And at the top, as we said, there's a, there's a great um, snowplow. I can't remember the brand. There's 200 metres of, um, of groomed piste, and you can rent some skis. And that's it. Once you've done those 200 metres, the rest of it is, is ski touring. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And the ski touring, um, as James was saying, it's you can't ski in a lot of Iraq. Um, and it's really interesting to tour there, too, because, you know, you have your usual avalanche hazards and terrain hazards. But then um, you also will get to the foot of the mountains and see the signs that map the landmines that are there. Um, you know, a relic of the Iraq-Iran war. Um, so you also have to consider where are their landmines and where aren't they um, when you're making your decisions about where to ski tour out there. Um, and then also a lot of the peaks, it's right on the Iraq-Iran border. So um, you're also considering exactly where that line is with Iran, where you're going to be visible there too. So there's a lot of considerations um, in deciding where you're going to backcountry ski. Yeah, okay. You are making it sound like you've got uh, slightly more than the uh, average uh, challenges. So, who is actually <laughs> guiding? Who is guiding the group uh, and ensuring that you're not going over the border or going down the wrong kind of areas? You know, it, it, it came out of working in Afghanistan, and when you had enough people that wanted to go skiing in Afghanistan, um, untamed borders already worked doing sort of cultural trips in in Iraq, and so it made sense to look at where we, where we could ski. You know, there's big mountains. Um, let's try and replicate a similar type of experience. And so we got in touch with the guys from Choman. And historically, people from Choman smuggle. That has been a, a, a tradition for <laughs> hundreds of years because they're on the border between Turkey, Iraq and Iran. And the mountains yeah. are high and it's difficult to track. So the guys from Choman, they also now in the summer, they, they take people up Mount Halgod, not just international people, but people from Baghdad, people who want to go up into the mountains and go into the Dallas Kulev. So they act as trekking guides. And those guys know where you can go and where you can't go because they they have relations on the other side of the border. They have relations with the border guards. They have relations. They know where the mines are. So those guys are the people that keep us in the areas where we can ski and we can be safe to ski and where we can't ski because there's all of these as Ashley said uh restrictions but when you know the mountains as you know Ian when people know those mountains they've been born in those mountains they know where you can go and where you can't go sure well I, I guess that makes a, a lot of sense and and uh, Ashley you've been out there and skied out there yourself before and take it was that in 2020 then was it um starting back in 2017 and then 18 um was the first time um 
So we actually started this, uh, James was organizing kind of a recce trip for Untamed Borders to see whether there's skiing there and whether it would be um, a good idea and, and a great place to put together a trip. So I went on that and skied there for the first time. Um, and we ended up meeting a bunch of locals who were really interested in skiing um, and wanted to get more involved in it. So um, that was kind of the birth of this. So yeah, I've been skiing there since, since pre-COVID. Um, back in 2017. I mean, how on earth did that happen? Because you, you know, you're from the far western side of the United States and James is, you know, international, but uh, based in Amsterdam, uh, British, etc. How did you two cross paths? So we actually met in Afghanistan skiing as well. Um, so James's company, Untamed Borders, runs trips and has helped organize the Afghan Ski Challenge. Um, so I became really interested in that and um, joined that trip, I think, back in 2014. 14, I believe, um, and met James through that. And that is part of what inspired uh, this Iraq trip. Um, we saw, you know, how bringing locals together and kind of sharing the sport of skiing um, was a really interesting and empowering thing for everybody involved. Um, so James and I met in Afghanistan, and then I went with him on this trip to Iraq. And that was kind of where it all started. Right. Well, we will come back to uh, Afghanistan and the Afghan uh, challenge that you uh, mentioned, but I'm still fascinated by this. You know, what drew you to Afghanistan for on a ski trip in the first place? <laughs> I mean, I think for me, um, I think like probably all of your listeners, I really love the sport of skiing, particularly backcountry skiing. And so it's been a really great vehicle for me to explore different parts of the world um, and a way to connect to, to other people as well. I think this shared love of the mountains, of winter, of the snow, just the fun of sliding on snow. Um, I've been able to see a lot of different parts of the world. And so when I saw this opportunity for Afghanistan, I thought like a, a way to explore a part of the world that I might not um, travel to and have kind of a connection and a, a vehicle and a platform to really um, do what I love with, with other people who like it. Um, so that's kind of the foundation, I think, of a lot of the Afghanistan ski work and also really the Iraq ski work. Yeah, I mean, you know, it is very interesting to hear that. And it's not wholly dissimilar. You know, on the podcast, uh, over different episodes, we've covered all sorts of destinations uh, around the world. And I mentioned to James that uh, I've skied in uh, Morocco in 2018, I think it uh, was, and went ski touring. And the snow, you know, wasn't uh, like amazing, but in some respects, maybe similar to what you're doing in Iraq. Because for me, what I uh, got out of it was just a completely different experience that was a real adventure where we you know we hiked up the mountain staying at a refuge at 3,000 uh, meters and we had donkeys carrying our skis and and this kind of stuff and just like, a completely different environment people staring at us you know when you've got skis thinking what the hell are they doing because they don't really uh, understand it but I did there's a very good video that I'll share in the show notes which looked to me as if uh, I think uh, you feature in that uh, video there that you're skiing with uh, locals. So had they been skiing already before you got out there or did you help introduce them to skiing? No, they hadn't been skiing. And I think the video we're referring to also is a group of girls um, that we worked with there too. So we partnered um, with a group called Free to Run. And so they're, they're an organization that's dedicated to challenging gender norms through sport. Um, so introducing girls to um, specifically sports like running. Um, 
So we, we had introduced this idea of skiing um, as another vehicle to kind of promote leadership and wellness um, and resilience through skiing. So these girls had never been skiing, um, really hadn't spent a lot of time playing on the snow. So um, together with them and a group of locals who are really interested, uh, we brought some skis over, and this was back in, in 2018 in our first iteration of this, brought some skis over. Um, and like James said, there's no lifts out there. So we just tramp down a bit of a piece um, in, in some of the fields and make a little like beginner bunny slope there. Um, and so started teaching skiing and um, it was really transformative experience, I think for everybody um, and amazing to kind of see the girls progress, um, see them really come to just like love that sport and get the thrill out of it that I think we all do. Um, and since then, there's been a few guys, um, they've established a little ski club in this town. Um, and, you know, one of our, our friends now, we left him with a pair of backcountry skis. And so every winter he's been going out now for quite a few years and it's really improved as a skier. He sends us videos and it's amazing to see how good he's gotten. He just really loves being out there. Cool. That, that's great. Well, I mean, I noticed on, your, on the Untamed uh, Borders website, it mentions that there is a winter festival in Shoman. Uh, is that a new thing or is that something that's included uh, skiing in that previously? There, there was a winter festival. Uh, I think it was started in the 50s. Um, and it was then stopped after the sort of Kurds uh, rose up against Saddam Hussein. They, it was like all kind of festivals like that were, were banned. And so it stopped. And then obviously we kind of came in and, and thought it'd be good to in, introduce um a, a ski race. It was tricky. I mean, when Ashley was saying that really there weren't any skiers, it wasn't quite true. There was a town to the south called Penchwin, where um, an organisation, it's a Basque Kurdish friendship society, which sounds unlikely. But when you think about it, the Kurds and the Basques are both peoples that are separated yeah. across more than one nation. And so they have a, a an exchange program. Uh, they they're quite closely linked. We found out, and some Basque lads had come gone over to Penjuen and taught everyone how to describe the skis. Actually, I'm not a, I'm not expert. In <laughs> so it's a cross country ski organization. Um, so they are um, like classic cross sorry skate skate skis um, that these guys are on, um, and they're again just kind of tramping down some tracks and kind of making some ski areas um, and taught by this Basque coach. And that's a good point, James. Actually, it's um, you know there isn't a strong history of skiing, but when we started to this event and started teaching skiing, a lot of people came out of the woodwork. There were some expats in the area who you know had skied previously, but also you know just some locals who in the past had bought a pair of skis from Turkey over um, or were interested in it and just people kind of came out of the woodwork who were like oh yeah I'm, I'm really interested in the sport and have some way to slide down on snow whether it's cross-country skis from this Basque group or you know a pair of skis from the early 90s that they imported over from Turkey. And so is that part of the um, w what I uh, read on the uh, site there's a, a, the Iraq ski rally is that what you're talking about there is that the event that you're referring to? So yes, we, we basically work with like, how can we set up a, a, an event that tries to capture all of these different people's um, abilities, lack of abilities, different types of equipment. And so it's a fairly short um, <clears throat> ski touring race with a few different transitions, um, a few different, you know, you wouldn't recognize it internationally as, uh, as a race, but there's some skinning up, there's some uh, transitions, there's some skinny, skiing down, there's some more, you know, skinning up. It's probably about 40 minute, uh, a 40-minute course. Um, 
And so that was the Iraq um, ski rally. And then the people from Chaman were interested in tying that in um, and starting their festival again. So in a way, it was it was rekindling this festival that existed beforehand um, that had been stopped under Saddam Hussein, yeah. but doing it in a different way um, with with the ski race and and the crowd like what they describe as an exhibition of skiing. So everybody who goes up tries to do some uh, choreographed skiing or, or Anna, who's our um, Untamed Borders ski guide, who obviously comes in. She's from Slovenia. She comes across with the group and makes sure everyone is safe on the slopes that come that travel with us. She's a decent skier, so she does some jumps. And everybody enjoys seeing the, uh, the exhibition of skiing. There's the ski race. There's some DJs. There's some music. You know, we just try and make it into a bit of a festival. So just to kind of clarify, you know, obviously with it, with Untamed Borders, it, it strikes me that uh, you're kind of combining the opportunity for tourism, but also looking at doing things on the ground as well with some of the organisations uh, that you've mentioned. But the, the actual, if you want to call it commercial trip that you're arranging is time to fit in with that winter festival. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So we, we, we run a commercial trip for people to come and ski, have a, an international qualified ski guide that keeps them safe on the slopes, gets involved in the fest, you know, and they're there at the same time as the festival. So on one side, that's our commercial operation. For me personally, trying to help organise uh, the event and the festival and involving a fun event in somewhere like Iraq, where often it's portrayed in a very sort of, you know, binary way. It's all about extremism and danger and deserts, which, you know, it's not where that is so to, to to try and show that to both people outside iraq and even within iraq that their own country is 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 more interesting and as ashley says also get um, women involved uh, working with the organization free to run which i sit on the board of to help uh internally displaced people from the conflicts with isis refugees from syria to get involved in skiing to do outdoor uh outdoor events which helps with as, as ashley said with leadership um, with just just um, skills to uh, take a greater part in society as a woman. And, yeah, just to do that is a great thing to do. It sounds really interesting. So that would be in uh, February, in the middle of uh, February. A question I have to ask then, I mean, obviously you've mentioned Syria, you've mentioned uh, ISIS. What is the travel advisory situation in terms of going to Iraq? You mentioned it, you know, in, in uh, Kurdish Iraq, it's a, perhaps a, a different situation, but how do you fly in there? And uh, and what would the situation be as far as the uh, foreign officer are concerned? I think the FCO, um, they say they advise against travel to the Kurdish region and they advise against all travel to um, the rest of Iraq. I mean, Untamed Borders is a company that, whilst we absolutely respect the, the FCO advice, there is more nuanced information to have, you know, it's, 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 it prates things with a broad brush, which is completely correct, but we specialize in um, being able to guide people in places with an increased security risk or a perceived security risk. Um, I mean, as an example to say, to show that we have experience, we were involved in organizing the logistics for a recent documentary by Michael Palin called Into Iraq. So we arranged the Iraq side of things there. We took him from the um, Turkish border, all the way down to Basra in the south. Um, so I guess, you know, they wouldn't have trusted us with with, with Sir Michael Palin if we didn't have some uh, experience in organising this kind of thing. But yeah, you'd fly into Erbil, which has links through um, the Gulf states or through Istanbul, quite regular flights. And then again, it's a two-hour drive from there to Choman on the border. And it is a... As, even though it's got that, uh, that warning from... Um, 
the FCO, the security issues in that part of Iraq are really are really quite low. And I think, you know, I would uh, chip in that, you know, I'm sure there'll be people listening to this podcast whose interest has been piqued uh, by this. Uh, Probably you're a long term listener, but if you're not, you might remember or you you might be interested to know that there is an insurance company called Battleface. who um, We did have Katie from uh, Battleface on the podcast quite often uh, last year during uh, lockdown, who will insure you for going to uh, countries that the FCO advise against travel on. It's just travel advice. You're allowed to travel there if you want to but uh, that's something that you need to uh, to sort out um right that is really interesting i just googled that uh, michael palin program i see it was on um channel five i don't know when it was on but you know it's available on their uh, player at the moment so i might catch up with that that sounds kind of interesting uh, as well I'd, I'd like uh, if it's okay to bring it back to afghanistan now because you said that's where you met uh, as long ago as 2014 you've been doing these trips or had been doing these trips to Afghanistan clearly for, you know for quite a long time we spoke in March 2021 about the Afghan uh, challenge evidently things I suspect have changed in Afghanistan since we spoke I wondered what the situation is there now James and I'm sure unless some of your listeners were living under a rock then the summer of uh, 2021 there was a huge change in Afghanistan in that the international community left and the Taliban um Took over, um, took over the government, and we stopped our we stopped our guiding at the you know because we do a lot of different stuff in Afghanistan in the spring of uh, 2021, and we resumed them again uh, in the just at the end the late summer of 2022. So it's a completely different government. There's some things which don't pose as much risk as they did before. There's other um, risks and considerations to take at the same time um but we are one of the issues we have is um when we did the ski challenge before it was a, a an event that men and women could take part in afghan men and women could take part in uh last year um some of the local guys in bamiyan where we held the race they held a ski challenge it was only for men because that was all that was allowed and we'll be bringing a few skiers out this year to ski in afghanistan and there will be a small race. Um, exactly what's permitted and what's not permitted, we probably won't know until uh, until the time. And we've been working in Afghanistan since 2008 and we'll continue to do so and continue to see how the tourism can be a positive, a positive force within Afghanistan. Sometimes that's not clear at the moment how that's going to be. Um, but we found ways of doing it in the past and we hope to, to, to continue to do it in the future. So we're going out in March for a ski trip in Afghanistan and, yeah, it'll be our first ski trip under the new government. Okay, well, that is very interesting. That'll be uh, in March, as you said. And, you know, I think I'd be interested in an update on that. I know that you were doing a lot of work beyond, you know, simply skiing in Afghanistan, because I think you're a, a founder or involved with the Afghan Sports Trust. Is that still going? Do you want to explain what that is? Yeah, so without too much of a backstory, um, I was the found one of the founders of a, of a marathon in Afghanistan. It ran from 2015 to 2020. It was the only mixed gender sporting event in uh, in the country. As a, off the back of that, there was an organisation founded called the Afghan Sports Trust that uh, provided sort of small grants and small amounts of uh, funding for grassroots sports within Afghanistan. So if there was a little sports club that was too small to get funding from sort of the international community, they could apply for a little grant to help by, you know, shirts or equipment or bits and bobs uh, that they need. 
and also sometimes we put um, clubs in the UK or around the world in touch with clubs in Afghanistan that they could, you know, raise some small money to support it. It was very small, low-level stuff, which is the kind of thing that I really like getting involved in. Um, I'm still involved in a bit in the Afghan Sports Trust. They're still doing their work. They're going to put some money towards the uh, the Afghan Ski Challenge uh, this year. Um, they've been working with some football clubs. It's been difficult for the Afghan Sports Trust because they've always wanted to do things for um, sport for men and women. They are able to do that because there are some uh, women's sports organizations that are still doing either online classes or getting together in groups indoors. There's no outdoor sports being done for women in Afghanistan, but there are organizations that are providing opportunities for people to do um, indoor sports, you know, whether it's as much as yoga or things like that. And as we all know, you know, for your mental health and things like that, to get out, to, to be able to do stuff together um, physically every day or a few times a week is really important. So, there are there are ways to still continue to support um, women's sports in Afghanistan, although it's particularly hard at the moment. Right. Well, that is uh, interesting to hear, and uh, you know, appreciate that uh, you know things clearly have uh, changed. But I know you've been involved in in Afghanistan for a long time. I, I'm just interested, James, how you came about founding or creating Untamed Borders as a company because you're offering all of these different. Very unusual destinations. We recently covered Uzbekistan, actually, on the uh, uh, podcast, but just one of the places. How did you, you know, end up in this, I don't know, in this job or running this company? Um, well, it, it, it began, I was just um, just traveling for my own uh, um, interest in, um, in, in Pakistan and Afghanistan. There was a couple of guys I met, uh, one Afghan guy, one Pakistani guy, and they predominantly worked with... Um, professional people so with journalists or documentary makers or researchers or uh photographers uh, but occasionally they worked with people who were tourists and wanted to see other other sites and they wanted to do more of that kind of work and this was 2008 this was when sort of things like facebook was just beginning social media was just starting um having a website was um you know companies were able to have a reach that they couldn't have before and i suggested to them that i could help you know, put a website together for them and, uh, and and set up a Facebook page and, you know, promote what they did. We, they, they came up with the name of Untamed Borders and I said I'd help them out. And after six months to a year of, of just helping them out, I said, you know, actually this potentially has legs. And, you know, then it got registered in the UK. And, um, you know, if people liked what we did in Afghanistan and Pakistan, then we spread to other parts of the world. And so, yeah, we work in a lot of countries across um Central Asia, the Middle East, uh, and North and uh, East and Central Africa. That is really interesting. And, you know, you may be aware that uh, personally I'm trying to fly less because I'm trying to reduce my carbon footprint. But I'm also, you know, very aware that the overall net benefit to the planet isn't necessarily simply about not flying. Because if you go as a tourist to places like this, then you can make a real positive impact in on people's lives simply you mentioned before about in terms of Kurdistan you know the locals understanding actually and appreciating that they have this destination that people would want to come from across the world to come and visit and I think that's an important part of what you're trying to do at Untamed Borders. Yeah I hope so I mean there's a there's a, a bit of a vision of there's a lot of places we go as seen internationally and through no one's fault you know they're just seen through the prism of, of the news media which is fine that's what it's there for it's to talk about things that are unusual and usually unusual things are, are, are bad things that happen it's a british trait isn't it to like an underdog 
And so we like to, you know, work in places that have, you know, are often seen through the, the prism of, you know, very negative ideas. And of course, like every country in the world, there's loads more than, than that going on. In our own small way, change that perspective through um, people that follow us, follow our social media, follow our newsletters that, you know, there's more to, 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 the, to the countries that we work in than perhaps they would see on the news. Um, to the people that we guide in the countries, that we try and give them a framework to, to see the countries as they are, and also the people of the country that we visit, that the tourists we bring are, are, are responsible. And everyone knows, if they think about it, that Iraq has more to offer than just ISIS and, and, and oil and, uh, and violence. I mean, if people just read the news in the UK recently, it would all be about strikes and, and the NHS not working. It would seem like it's gone completely down the drain. But of course, other stuff happens in the country that people take a lot of joy in. And so, yeah, there's part of us that want to, yeah, want to show that and want to show that there's a lot of joy and interesting things in, in the regions that we work in. From my conversation with the two of you, I can see that you're making a positive impact. And, you know, I wish you all the best for it. And I'll put links into the show notes. So, listener, you can find out more about skiing in Iraq and or Afghanistan if you'd like to. So um, I really appreciate that, uh, James and Ashley. Um, We're going to move on to just one more quick interview uh, in this episode. It's a different sort of challenge. Uh, Recently, I spoke to uh, Kathy Munro, who is taking part in the Ice Swimming World Championships, which are going to be in Samoan uh, later this month. Uh, And as you'll find out if you listen to this, it involves swimming in water that has to be uh, less than five degrees Celsius. So let's uh, hear about that. Great. So I'm here today with uh, Cathy Munro, and I wanted to ask you to come on the show because I discovered that you're going to be taking part in the World Ice Swimming Championships, which this year are going to be taking place in Samoen, in the uh, in the French Alps, which yes. is, if people don't know Samoen, I think I'm right in saying it's in the Grand Massif, it's in the same ski areas, Flen and uh, Lake Caro and, and other resorts like that. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. And the uh, World Ice Swimming Championships sounds cold i think a lot of people have probably heard of wim wim hof or wim hof i get in the sea every now and again at the, at the moment i consider the sea to be quite cold at about nine degrees uh, celsius what temperature is the water going to be in your event to count as an official ice swimming event it has to be 5.0 or less um i swam in the lake last week and it was 3.8 um which is actually relatively warm um they have had the ice champs in um russia pre obviously events that happened with ukraine and the war um where the water's been naught and one degrees um, oh my God. uh yeah so it depends if there's a cold snap just before and it's cold at night it may well be down to two Sure, but, but you know, regardless, we're talking about very low temperatures. And just to clarify, yes. I mean, some of our listeners might be aware that in places like Teen, Lalac, and uh, and Lac de Lou in Lehman Weir, and also in Courcheval Le Prat, you can go ice diving. But when people go ice diving, they wear a full wetsuit. Uh, yes. There's no wetsuits allowed in this competition. No, the, the rules are really, really strict. So you have to wear a normal swimming costume um a normal swimming hat uh just one um and goggles yeah that's it and then you do have the addition of uh safety belts 
um, around your middle just in case you need to get fished out. <laughs> but, right, okay. Um, but other than that, and there are some strict rules about um, how you start and how you turn um, and, and so on as well. Not anyone can actually enter this competition. You have to qualify for it. It's the World Championships, right? Yes, yes. So you have to qualify. So you have to have done some swims in um, water of that temperature. So you have to have a track record. Um, I'm still relatively new. We had the GB champs um, in December and it happened to coincide with the really cold spell. And we were down at Welton Waters, which is near Hull, and the water dropped to 2.2, which... Um, it was quite a jump down from my yeah. I think I've been swimming in in five, uh, six. Yeah, so it was that was interesting. But um, yeah, we all have we all have to acclimatize. I do a mix of lake swimming, um, cold showers. You you were out in in Flynn uh, just before Christmas, and uh, you went for a swim in the lake to get a bit of practice in. Yeah, uh, what's the name of the lake? So it's it's Lacour Dam. Right. And and how was your practice swimming? How does it look there? Um, so it's an interesting lake. It's the one they hold the French national championships in um, every year. Um, it's actually not the most pristine of, of, of waters in terms of there's quite a lot of silt, but it's definitely clean in terms of, of no bugs and uh, and anything else. But it's not the most clear of, of, of lakes. Um, but they're going to be putting a 10-lane um, pool by building up with blocks um, similar to um, you make pontoons and things um, out of, and, and um, they're going to have 10 lanes. I imagine the outer two are going to be a bit on the shallow side. But Okay. Um, now, I've seen quite a few articles in the paper recently, you know, warning people who are making their New Year's resolution to go <laughs> cold water swimming and saying, in general, you know, don't uh, go for more than one minute per degree. So, you know, the sea at the moment is eight minutes and uh, eight degrees and eight minutes. But what yeah. are the d- kind of distances that you would be looking at? Because the event is running over four days and yeah. there's different distances, you yeah. know, or, or on each day. So what will you be taking part in? So I'm taking part, the 500 metres is my longest event, but that's because I'm a relatively newbie into ice swimming. Um, the blue ribboned event in ice swimming is the one k uh so but i'm doing 100 meters a 250 meters and a 500 and then i'm doing a relay um as well which is 50 meters right and you, you you're obviously competing uh, uh, as a team gb athlete I yes. take it. so that relay yes. is a inter-country event yes yes it is yeah yeah it's a mixed okay. relay yeah right okay and you know 500 meters then that's going to be your longest. That would take me, yes. you know, a bit under 10 minutes or something like that. How long do you think that will be taking you? Um, I'm hoping to do it in eight and a half minutes or under. Um, yeah, so sorry. eight and a half minutes. So you're blowing the advice then. Eight and a half <laughs> minutes in water that's going to be like three or four. What? What? Yeah, I know you've obviously yeah. got plenty of practice in this sort of yeah. things, but, you know, you wouldn't. I assume you wouldn't recommend that a novice would uh, yeah. start trying out getting into water this kind yeah. of cold. Um, absolutely not Um, I think that the one minute per degree is quoted quite a lot I'm not sure what scientific evidence there is behind it I think it all depends on your physiology and your adaptation Um, so Prof Mike Tipton um, and 
I think she's doctor, she might be Professor Heather Massey down in Portsmouth, have done a lot of really good research. So if you want to have some information, it's worth um, Googling them and, and, and looking. Um, so I no longer hyperventilate when I get in the water, <laughs> That's which, <a> is, <laughs> which is good. Um, because you basically get in and once everybody's shoulders are under, the starter um, uh, says go. So um, the thing I've had to learn, I used to be quite good at faffing as I got in and making a bit of a fuss. And I've had to learn to just get in, get my shoulders under, get my face in and, and go. I, you know, I wish you all the best. I think I read on the website they're going to be over 400 athletes uh, taking part from 33 yeah. uh, countries. Yeah. So, you know, I'll be following your uh, results <laughs> and I look forward to, to hearing all about it and I wish you all the best for the event. Great. Thank you. I enjoy all feedback about the show. So please do contact me on social uh, at the ski podcast or by email the ski podcast at gmail.com. Uh, had a comment via Facebook from Dale Hardman. He said, love the podcast. By the way, I'd be interested to know if you listen to any back episodes, uh, if there's some bad audio uh, there, because I can tidy some of those up. Uh, as you will know, there are over 160 episodes in the last seven days. Actually, 147 of them were listened to. If you want to make sure that you don't miss any episodes make sure you subscribe uh, but in the meantime you can follow me at skipedia the podcast at the ski podcast and for now i'd like to thank letoivale for sponsoring the show and thank my guest today ashley thank you for joining us thanks so much ian it was great to talk to you excellent and james thank you yeah thanks for having me on again ian much appreciated no problem and finally listener thank you for joining us and until next time goodbye Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Don't forget that if you want to support the podcast, then remember to book your ski hire with Intersport and use the code SKIPODCAST or simply take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Thanks again and have a great winter.